Galatians 5 verse 16. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not know what you want. But if you were led by the Spirit, you were not under law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have been crucified by the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you, who are spiritual, should restore him gently. But watch yourself, or you too may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfil the law of Christ. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Each one should test his own actions. Then he can take pride in himself, without comparing himself to somebody else. For each one should carry his own load. Anyone who receives instruction in the word must share it, share all good things with his instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. And one who sows to please the spirit, from the spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have the opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Thanks, Carl. I was thinking to myself, I was thinking to myself, uh, I would love to have Shelley Ann's eyesight. You know, Shelley Ann playing over there on the uh, saxophone, standing a million miles away from the music stand. I don't know how she does it. Whenever I play in uh, my orchestra, I'm, I'm there going, which is hard when you've got a trombone because you've got such a long slide. And when I'm reading the sermon, I'm sort of, I always feel like I'm going like this. Anyway, it's a great gift. <laughs> Well, uh, over the past few weeks, we've been looking at the uh, person and the work of the Holy Spirit here at the branch, and I think it's fair to say that there's often a huge amount of interest in the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. That's partly, I think, because we get the other members of the Trinity. We get the Father, we kind of get Jesus, uh, but we're not really sure what to do with the Holy Spirit. After all, 
What does it mean to be a spirit-filled Christian? People say all the time, uh, or they use phrases like, you know, we ought to be spirit-filled Christians or things like that, but what does that actually mean? Paul says in that uh, reading that uh, Marty read for us, keep in step with the Spirit, he says live by the Spirit, he says so to the Spirit. But what do those expressions mean? How do you do that? We're commanded to do it, but what does that mean? In some ways, uh, in the past few weeks, we've already touched on uh, the work of the Spirit in the Christian life. We've seen that the Holy Spirit is God. We've seen that He comes and makes His home in us. We've seen that He speaks to us, that God speaks to us through the Holy Spirit, through the ordinary words of other people, but authoritatively in the Bible. We've seen that the Spirit comes to us through the atoning death of Jesus. Uh, we've seen that God speaks to. Uh, we've seen that the Spirit unites us with Jesus, so that we share in all that belongs to Jesus. If we belong to Him, I guess what I'm hoping to do this morning is to think about some more of the ways that the Spirit works in the individual Christian life. Before looking next week uh, at the work of the Spirit in building up the church, uh, and then in the last week of this series, looking at how the Spirit works to make the gospel known. Please, as we look today at the work of the Spirit in the Christian life, uh, please don't forget what we've already seen. Uh, Particularly, please don't lose sight of the fact that the chief work of the Holy Spirit is to unite us with Jesus and to join us with him in his death and resurrection. Uh, Once again, there's... uh, are Are there Bible verses in the leaflet today? There aren't, are there? Well, anyway... They were supposed to be, so you just have to flick to them. Uh, uh, I mustn't have sent that. (laughs) Uh, We'll just have to flick through them uh, as we go along, or you can listen in uh, as we go. So what are some of the ways, then, that the Spirit helps us uh, in our ordinary Christian lives? Well, I think there's four ways uh, that I want to focus on, at least. there's not just the Spirit's work isn't limited to four ways, but I think these are kind of four of the important ways that the Spirit works uh, in our lives. We've brushed up against some of them already, but uh, it's helpful just to kind of look at them in a little bit more detail uh, and to kind of come at them maybe from a fresh angle. So how does the Spirit help us in our ordinary Christian lives? First, the Spirit enables us to know God and to know the love of God. We've seen in weeks gone by that the Spirit... Uh, speaks to us, but the Spirit also enables us to understand. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and is incomparably great power for us who believe. Paul wants the Ephesian Christians to know God better. He wants them to know the hope to which they've been called, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, the incomparably great power for us who believe. And to know those things, Paul says, we need the Spirit. We need the Spirit to enlighten our minds, to enable us to grasp who God is and what he has done in Jesus. We need the Spirit to understand and know God. God is so incomprehensible. God is so unfathomable. God is so far beyond our grasp 
that we need the Holy Spirit to make, sen- to make God make sense to us. We expect clever people to be able to understand complex things, but even clever people can't grasp God without the Spirit of God. And conversely, with the Holy Spirit, even the simplest people can grasp God. It's such a precious thing, it's a precious miracle, I think, to see someone who is not well regarded in society for their brilliance, to see a person like that grasp the unfathomable mysteries of God. To see someone who will never be a rocket scientist or a brain surgeon, uh, to see a person like that who has such incredible wisdom, biblical wisdom, godly wisdom, someone who who grasped the depths of the gospel. The Spirit enables us to know God. But then a few chapters later, Paul goes on a little bit further and he says, he prays that the Spirit would strengthen these believers so that they would know the love of God. He says in Ephesians 3, For this reason I kneel before the Father from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to, all, uh, to the measure of all the fullness of God. What Paul is saying is we're not strong enough to know the love of God without the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit to strengthen us by bringing the presence of Christ in our hearts so that we can grasp the full measure of God's love. It's such an unexpected prayer. I expect to need the power of God to understand complex ideas. That makes sense, doesn't it? Or to need power to grasp the terrible justice of God, to be able to withstand understanding that The the, the judgment of God, that requires power, doesn't it? But power to understand love? The Bible says that God's love is so overwhelming that we need the power of the Holy Spirit to strengthen us in our inner being so that we can grasp it, so that we can grasp the width and the length and the height and the depth of it. It's so amazing. If you belong to Jesus, you are so loved by God... You are loved by God in such a way that no one, else, no one else's love compares to that. You are loved by no one else as much as you are loved by God in Christ. You are valued by no one else more than you are valued by God in Christ. You are not more precious to anyone else than you are to God in Christ. The Spirit of God strengthens us and Christ dwells in us so that we can know the love of God. The Spirit enables us to know God and to know the love of God. Second, though, the Spirit enables us to worship God. Jesus says to the woman at the well in John chapter 4, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. 
You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Uh, It's probably a bit more helpful to translate that not as filling with the Spirit, but filling by the Spirit. We're filled by the Spirit with Christ. But what does being filled by the Spirit lead to? Paul continues... Be filled by the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for, uh, uh, always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. That is, a Spirit-filled life is a singing life. It is a life of encouraging others through songs a life of praising God with music, a life of giving thanks to God for everything and a life of submitting to one another in in the various different kinds of relationships that God has placed us. I don't know about you, but I have to confess that when I think of a spirit-filled life, I don't immediately think of a singing life. But Paul says that it is. It's a life of mutual praise and mutual of praise and mutual encouragement. A life of sung praise. And while it's true that worship includes our actions, it's definitely true that worship also includes our words. There should be words that we say about God. And I and I worry that we might be people that follow God and obey God and know God, but never actually praise God. That is, we can live, we can sort of do the, God says to do this, and we do it. We can kind of do that kind of life, but we can't do a life which actually really acknowledges God all, all, all the time. We ought to verbally praise God and thank God and honour God with our words. And there seems to be something special about doing that too, not just with spoken words, but with, with words that are sung. Our singing here on Sunday is really important. It actually, what singing here is, is actually the fruit of a spirit-filled life. Being filled with the Spirit leads to praise and mutual encouragement. But our praise and thanks to God and our words of encouragement shouldn't just be done here, but the praise and the thanks that we offer God should reach from here out. It's like the stone dropped in the middle of a puddle, you know, and the the waves spread out into the rest of our lives. The praise that we offer here infects the rest of our lives fuels the rest of our lives. As I've done before, let me encourage you to cultivate the habit uh, and, to pray to God, and to pray that God would help you, to help you to cultivate the habit 
of singing praise in your ordinary life. You can sing to God in the shower. You can sing when you pray, when you, when you drive the car. Uh, you can sing when you do the vacuuming. Make great harmonies with a vacuum cleaner motor, actually, but uh, that's just another, another story. You can sing when you're doing the washing up. You can even sing silently at your desk at work, I think. Paul says, make music in your heart. If you're not a good singer, buy some music, buy some good CDs and sing along to them. Go to the Emu Music website, go to the Stuart Townend or Keith and Kristen Getty or, or Sovereign Grace or something like that. Go there, buy their music, you can buy their MP3s or their CDs and play them and sing along to them. A spirit-filled life is a life of sung praise. But what's true of sung words is also true of ordinary words. And in a similar passage in Colossians, Paul mentions singing there too, but he also mentions other things like teaching and admonishing and letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly. In other words, don't let it just be sung praise, but let it be praise in all kinds of words as well. A spirit-filled life is a life of worship uh, and a life of worship that points each other to God and encourages each other. But it is true... Uh, having said that, that worship does include our actions and not just our words. A spirit-filled life not only includes praise, but also mutual encouragement, Paul says in Ephesians, uh, a life of mutual submission and respect, which leads us on to the third way that the Spirit helps us in the Christian life, which is the Spirit helps us by enabling us to bear spiritual fruit. So we read before in Galatians where Paul says that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. If we belong to Jesus, then our sinful nature and our passions have been crucified with Christ. They've been put to death. What kinds of things does that include? Well, Paul says, the acts of the sinful nature are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But if we are in Christ... Those things are dying away and the Holy Spirit is working in us spiritual fruit. What is a spirit-filled life? It's a life of love. Love for God and love for our neighbour. It's not surprising that love is a, is a spiritual work, a work of the Spirit, because love is so difficult. Like is easy. When you stop liking someone, you can just kind of get rid of them. When their preferences are completely opposed to your preferences, you can just stop hanging around. Love is more difficult. Love means caring when someone's your enemy. It means being interested when their interests are different from yours. It means patiently working through differences. Love is costly and love is a work of the Spirit. 
A spirit-filled life is a life of joy, joy in the gospel, joy in God, joy in what God is doing in each other. I think we need desperately to pray for the Spirit to work joy in our lives because I think people are so desperately depressed and unhappy. I don't necessarily mean clinically depressed, but I mean people are so discouraged and unhappy with life. So tired. Joy is a fruit, it's a work of the Spirit. A Spirit-filled life is a life of love, a life of joy. It's a life of peace rather than division, a life of patience rather than impatience, a life of kindness, goodness and faithfulness. It's a life of self-control. We live in a world that uh, does not honour self-control. We live in a world where we're encouraged to satisfy every desire, to buy everything that we want, to satisfy every appetite. I was listening to a talk a little while ago uh, and the person was saying they live near a very famous patisserie. Actually, I visited it just recently uh, to see what it was like. Uh, but they, they, they told the story, I don't know if it's true, they told the story that every week they go to this famous patisserie, uh, which is like a temple when you go, it's just incredible. It's like a temple to, uh, to baked goods. Uh, <laughs> and he walks in every week and he walks right into the middle and then he walks out again. To remind himself that self-control is an important discipline in the Christian life. Isn't that remarkable? <laughs> I, I walked out the other day when I went and then went back the next day. But... <laughs> But it's true, isn't it, that we live in a world that disregards self-control. Anything you want, well, why not? But self-control in little things trains us for self-control in big things. And self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. The ability to say no. I could have that, but I don't need to have it. Spirit enables us to know God and to know the love of God. The Spirit enables us to worship God. The Spirit enables us to bear spiritual fruit. Finally, the Spirit helps us in prayer. Paul writes in Romans 8, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Well, what's the weakness? We don't know what we ought to pray for. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. The Spirit helps us by praying. He utters groans that words cannot express. I was driving along the other day in the car, marvelling at how God answers unprayed prayers. That is, he answers prayers that I should have prayed, but never did, as well as prayers that I never even thought to pray, because I didn't even know what I needed So, for instance, you know, we might need a new ministry leader in church or something like that. And we'll talk about it at a session meeting and I'll think about it and go through the church list or something like that. And I'll work very hard to make sure that we can find someone who can do that job. And I'll, just when everything's about to fall flat, God will answer 
a prayer that I never prayed. I realised that I've never actually stopped to pray that God would raise up somebody for that task. It's so easy to do, isn't it? God miraculously provides even though we fail to pray. But as I drove along, it struck me that it's not actually that God answers unprayed prayers, but that the Holy Spirit prays the prayers that I never prayed. You long to share the gospel with a friend and you always forget to pray. And one day a fantastic opportunity falls into your lap. You forget to pray, but the Spirit intercedes on your behalf. A friend of yours isn't a Christian, a family member, and you long for them to come to know the gospel. And on their deathbed, they turn to Christ. Forty years of intermittent prayer. You forget to pray, but the Spirit intercedes. You spend your days worrying about something, and yet somehow God makes it turn out for good. You forget to pray, but the Spirit intercedes. The Spirit understands the deep longings of our hearts and turns those things into prayers. But not just any prayers, prayers shaped by the will of God. That is, they're not just prayers based on our longings, but the Spirit takes our longings and interprets them through the lens of God's will and God's purpose and prays those prayers on our behalf. So you, you might long for a life without suffering, but the Spirit takes that longing and turns it into a prayer that you would suffer as Christ suffered. And that as you suffer, you would know the joy that Christ knew, the, for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. Or we worry about the state of the world and what's happening. And the Spirit turns those worries into a prayer that the Father would hold us in his hands and that the gospel would go out. Sometimes the Spirit also takes things that we ever, never even know that we need and he asks the Father for, for them on our behalf. The Spirit understands our hearts and our needs better than we do and he prays the prayers that we should pray but for whatever reason don't. Which is not an excuse not to pray. It's much better to be involved with, along with the Spirit, to pray with the Spirit. But I think it's a wonderful encouragement as well to know that even when we forget to pray, the Spirit is interceding on our behalf. So the Spirit helps us to know God, to know the love of God. The Spirit enables us to worship. The Spirit enables us to bear spiritual fruit. The Spirit helps us in our prayer. But finally, the work of the Spirit is not something that we can simply take for granted. We're not bystanders while the Spirit does His work. We're also called to live responsively to the Spirit. So numerous times in Galatians, Paul says things like, Walk by the Spirit, be led by the Spirit, live by the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit, sow to the Spirit. So too in Ephesians, Paul commands the Christians there to be filled by the Spirit. In Romans, we're called to set our minds on what the Spirit desires. We're also warned against grieving the Spirit and quenching the Spirit. 
So although we're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, and although the good things that we do in following Jesus don't make us more saved or less saved or anything like that, it's still true that our sin and our pursuit of Jesus Christ can affect the quality of our Christian life. Paul puts those two things together in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. He says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. That is, these Ephesian Christians have been sealed for the last day by the Spirit of God, and yet they were still at risk of grieving the Spirit. How would they do that? How would they grieve the Spirit? They would grieve the Spirit, says Paul, through sin. Get rid of all bitterness, writes Paul, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Instead, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Our experience of the Holy Spirit can be hampered by our sin. And it can be cultivated by our pursuit, our diligence in pursuing Christ and seeking to obey him. If you keep throwing yourself into sin, that grieves the spirit and it will make your life more difficult. Just like walking uh, into a strong wind, into a strong headwind is miserable work. When you turn around and walk with the wind, it pushes you along, doesn't it? It speeds you on your way. It makes the journey easy. So too, when we push against the Spirit by throwing ourselves into a life of sin, we grieve the Spirit and it makes life hard. It makes life miserable. But when we walk with the Spirit, when we sow to the Spirit, we reap the work and the aid and the help of the Holy Spirit more fully. We shouldn't think that just because we're saved by grace, through faith, that pursuing holiness is unimportant. J.C. Ryle, in his book on holiness, says that if we say with Paul, O wretched man that I am, we should also be able to say with Paul, I press toward the mark. Two sides of the same Christian life. Well, what do you do if you've been living a life which grieves and quenches the spirit? Where do you begin? You begin uh, where you always begin, at the cross, in humility and repentance, saying, Lord, forgive me again in Jesus. Forgive me for quenching the Spirit's work. Forgive me for my sin. Forgive me for grieving the Spirit who you sent to dwell in me. Forgive me for trampling such a precious gift. And help me to follow Jesus more nearly. In Jesus Christ, God has poured out his spirit to help us, to help us to live the Christian life, to unite us with Jesus, to enable us to know him and to know his love, to enable us to worship him, to enable us to bear spiritual fruit and to help us in prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, please help us to Uh, walk uh, by the Spirit, to uh, live by the Spirit, to sow to the Spirit, to keep in step with the Spirit.
Lord, help us uh, to be people who uh, seek to follow you with all our hearts. Lord, uh, we ask that uh, where we have turned away from you, where we have grieved the Spirit, Lord, we ask for uh, your forgiveness once again. Lord, we ask for your mercy and your grace. We ask uh, that you would continue to uh, work in us through your Spirit, that you would, by your Spirit, fill us with Jesus Christ, uh, uniting us in his death and in his glorious resurrection from the dead. Lord, help us, by your Spirit, to know you and to know your love. Help us to understand you. Help us to worship you. Help us to pray and to know that even when we forget to pray or don't know what to pray, that you pray for us. So, Father, we ask that you would help us to be Christians filled by your Spirit. For your honour and glory, we ask it. In Jesus' name, amen.